with Aaron Kaczynski. Thank you for joining us on Local Disruption. My name is Brian Barnes, and I'm going to be asking Aaron uh, about some issues having to do with emerging technologies and what's going on in the world thanks to uh, a variety of important innovations. Aaron, how are you doing today? Yeah, great. Yeah, we've, we've had quite a, quite a bit of developments. Uh, Mr. Musk is moving quite quickly, and I think a lot of people should be adapting. Yeah. So what's the biggest thing you're seeing right now? We're, we're recording this on October 19th. What do you see as being important right now? In, in the past few weeks, it was, it was AI day in the, uh, in the uh, D1 chipset. That was, the, that was the biggest developments I've seen in the past few weeks. So what does that mean? I mean, for those of us who don't have any idea what you just said, AI development in the uh, what kind of chipset? The D1 chipset from Tesla making modular chipsets. Okay, so why is that important? Is the was there no AI in it before? Well, it's it's uh, we're, AI is more of a more of the program behind it, but the chipset was really uh, really really struck me as uh, significant because of the modularity of the tiles. Okay. Yeah, it contains its own power supply for for the chipset, and then oh. you just keep if you want more processing power to your uh, to your computer, you keep adding more and more processing power by coupling the chipsets like Legos. Oh, really? Is it just that yeah. easy? I don't know if it's that easy, but it's not as complex as say tearing open your computer, replacing the power supply, and uh, it, what what it what what it was is it it ended up they they added them together until it made it uh, the fifth fastest quantum computer in the world. Wow. So, that, I mean, being core modular like that, you could see that probably very easily be the fastest if he kept going. He's probably restricted to construction, to the ability to build them. Hmm. So however many they've produced so far, however many that takes to make a quantum computer, that's, that's a lot. Well, and so, and so how, big is, how big are these things? It, it looks like a, a, a server rack in a, in a like what you'd see in a in a in a in like Facebook or sure IBM or Apple okay would, would have as their as their as their main their mainframe servers okay it's massive it just fills up a big room mm -hmm. and so is it the case that this is going to um, is just the fact of this being in existence now is that going to change some of the systems that are already there is it going to make them obsolete is it gonna how's, well, it, how's the a, disruption I have, a model, happen? I have a model three okay and uh, if the systems on that on, of, of, of the uh, on the like the uh, operating systems the os on the vehicle are the operating systems for say your laptop or your cell phone or in your devices okay that, uh, it's not made for maximum positive engagement. Uh, it's not made for the advertising model. And if it's core modular, it means instead of throwing out your old computer and buying a, buying a new one every time, every other year, that you would just keep adding these tiles. Okay. Okay. So so you could really just keep the same computer then. Uh, yeah. For less forever. Yeah, you, you could, and you could possibly even rent these tiles to do major amounts of processing, play a really fast game, or I don't, I don't see why you couldn't just even use them for extended periods of time and need massive amount of processing power as opposed to just carrying around a lot of processing power.
Huh. And then do you just plug them in somewhere to charge them, or do they have a special charging? Uh, no, it's not. A, they're not battery operated. They just it's just has its own own uh, special contained power supply, which I thought was was groundbreaking. But sometimes that thing's got to wear out, right? I mean, it's got to run down or something. Yeah, absolutely, I mean, everything everything wears out eventually. But I mean, that, it, the way it's stacked and everything, it looks completely the. It, it looks like it would. It, it's built to be repaired. So. Oh. Okay. So you don't it's think like it all comes apart in in in, uh, in uh, a, a few separate pieces and expands out. Okay. Where it can be can be maintained. So the planned obsolescence that we discussed earlier and yep. in some of our episodes. Oh crap, earlier episodes, are you serious? Where in the world would you get those? There are so many of them and they are so awesome. Stay tuned, true believers. This is uh, starting to kind of work its way out in design. Okay, okay, and so this is gonna, this is gonna totally change the game. And um, as far as you're concerned, there's an intention here to disrupt with this technology. I I think the people that have us in a chokehold by our operating systems are going to be, they're going to have a lot of trouble uh, keeping relevant with a vertically integrated chipset manufacturer that, that builds software uh, packages faster than they do. Hmm. What What's going to happen? Um, it seems like there's been a lot of this conversation, I guess, over the last, since we started talking about this six months or so. It seems like there's been a lot of conversation about how um, new technologies are going to replace the old technologies. In addition to this chipset, is there anything else that people who might be looking around for disruption in the society, can you point to anything else they should be looking at? Um, AI mainly, and then the, uh, the advent of humanoid uh, robots we're looking at within a year to two years of having actual humanoid robots that machine learn. Yeah. So the boring, dangerous, repetitive tasks that we do will be able to be learned quite quickly. And you're uh, you're imagining these, you're imagining these just being and in. I believe that the machine is the tool for the learning. So we learn how to do it with human hands, and then the the data set is created with the humanoid robot, and then we would design machines that do things differently than our human form. And so this is going to be, in your mind, this is going to show up in every aspect of life, right? Like we're going to have these robots in our homes. We're going to have them at the office doing these, you know, in the factory. This is going to be really common. I, I think it, it, you know, if it's, if it costs as much as say the model three does today for a humanoid robot that I think most average people would, would, it would be desirable and cost effective to own. Hmm. I, could, I don't. I don't think it's going to take over our labor. But if you had, if you had like a couple of these, it would. It would definitely be an amplifier of your ability to get work done. Huh. And it can just. It, it supposedly these things will just just learn any tasks. This, uh, uh, Musk said at the, at the AI day that it would uh, do uh, dangerous and boring and repetitive tasks. That's pretty much most of what we do for a living. <laughs> there is a lot of that. <laughs> well, do you, do you worry about, um, you know, some people might say, oh, you're going to bring robots into the workplace or into the home. 
This is going to put people out of jobs. Uh, what do you say to the argument that we don't want the robots to replace us in our jobs? Uh, we went through this in the early 1900s with mechanization, and I, I feel uh, even though we're not talking about the giant elephant in the room in society, uh, I, I feel like it's, it's really no different than the mechanization, and, and it takes a generation to, uh, to, to go away. Uh, before a lot of this stuff is accepted, and then we do other. And I, and I encourage people to, even though they're seeming like they're really busy in their jobs right now, to, to not just focus on your job, but be thinking about other in the way that, you know, solar is not adopted, and you and I have been thinking about solar. Yep. So we're we're teaching ourselves to be solar technicians and, and solar uh and, and uh, educators of solar technology. Uh, so, you know, we're thinking about other, and I think even if you have a, a for real job during the day, uh, I think your, your, your hobby or your side gig should be more leaning towards more of what is tomorrow so that we adapt. Huh. I guess I'm thinking about, I, it just immediately I thought of Star Wars, you know, in, um, I, I don't know if it's been a while since you've seen Star Wars, but... Um, in, but you know, when when we meet Luke Skywalker in that movie, he's on his his family farm, and you know, everyone it seems it's just an expectation that people would know how to repair all the robots and how to use all of the advanced technology to do what they do. I mean, that's just that's kind of it's just going to become normalized like that, isn't it? I I would I would have hoped so. I don't see society reacting that in that way. I see us uh, distancing ourselves from putting our hands on this stuff. And oh. Technology happens. That's why I, uh, with what I'm doing with solar, I'm integrating the the battery, the solar battery, in the way that a cell phone is integrated. So if we don't see it in parts and in in pieces and uh, in modules. That once it's integrated, people kind of forget. Uh, Young people today that have their cell phones and their laptops uh, and, and the Apple MacBooks, they're not, they're not doing anything more than replacing an SD card or some memory where, you know, back in our day when we got our first computer, we could build to the, build to the limit of what, our, what engineering would allow us. Right, which wasn't much. It wasn't much. <laughs> <laughs> but it was super interesting nonetheless, you know. Yeah, and we got a chance to be hands-on. I think those right. windows were the chance to be hands-on because what I'm building is off-the-shelf components. So once I have the ability to design my electronics, uh, a lot of the off-the-shelf components uh, disappeared. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's kind of where the hands-on and the familiarity comes, and these things are pacing faster and faster, and that's where people seem to be... Uh, lacking the education because they don't work in the career field long enough to, to get a major career uh, force full of educated people, say, the way that we have like wired electricians now. Oh, sure. But this is going to be the sort of thing. I mean, just to jump ahead a little bit, do you see, <clears throat> I mean, it's a question that some folks have had about your technology and your approach. Do you see a future where we have like gatekeepers on this where you know like like today for example if i want to do plumbing or electric in my home it's still more or less accepted that after i finish that i would call in a licensed electrician or a licensed plumber to inspect it and make sure that everything was up to code and and, and that i did it right 
Do you think with these kinds of technologies, we'll eventually have that kind of a priesthood that blesses all the stuff that we do uh, formally? It, it, or do it you depends think, no? on how integrated it is from the factory and how much actual installation these things take. Because like right now, most of your communication wires have disappeared. When, when you go into the house, you snip the telephone cable out of it and the and then the cables for your television and internet are disappearing rapidly for satellite yeah. technology and the router built into the satellites. So sure. a lot of the equipment is disappearing. So I, I just don't know other than, you know, when you got satellite internet, you point to the sky and, and use your phone to point at something you already have by downloading an app. Yeah. A lot of these things are coming integrated with your phone. So things like your thermostat and stuff like that are going away that would require a technician to repair or install. Uh, I just I don't know how much installation is, is, is left on a lot of these things other than set them up, especially things with batteries that don't even require power. Hmm. Well, and let me let me let me ask you really quickly about the battery thing, because batteries, of course, are really central to your approach of, um, you know, innovative technology. Um, the lithium batteries, we have two issues, it seems, about them right now. One is um, they don't seem to be very recyclable. They're very a real challenge to do some of that. Um, it looks like the future of them are, but since a lot of these, the, the batteries I'm not, I'm worried most about aren't in, say, like the vehicles, because those in eight to ten years through redwood materials will be mechanically recycled. Okay. But I'm more concerned about seeing companies like, like the the vape pens and stuff from the smoke shops and, and the uh, that people buy, use a few times, they break and then they throw them away. The batteries sure. glued into them. The toothbrush, you know, the, all these high powered lithium ion batteries, they're actually physically glued into the cases and there's no avenue for them to recycle. Right. It's like this way. All right. That's a problem. My other, my other concern is that we don't have any, <clears throat> currently, we don't have a strong you know, United States source of lithium. Currently, we're importing it all. Um, you know, there are some moves to develop it, but we don't have those, you know, sort of in place yet. Do you have any thoughts about that? Well, I think most of our, our storage of these elements, is, is especially as we, uh, we remove a, a lot of these materials in abundance from the battery to make lighter batteries, are actually in the batteries that we're making today. So if you have a battery that's... Uh, say five times to six times more dense than the current battery and you remove safe stuff like cobalt that a lot of uh, the, the batteries you have now will make five to six times more batteries so hmm. i think as as we get more and more of this stuff in the united states uh that a lot of the elements and materials we have i think for me the biggest thing is to stop wasting them and stop throwing them away and finding uh, avenues to, uh, to recycle even the smallest of lithium ion batteries and it should be profitable i mean i'm going to sit here and say on the air that that for me the biggest profit game in in, in my nonprofit in is a 10-year plan for recycling the batteries we put out there and globally tracking them so that they don't end up in the garbage hmm. so if the battery goes low i should be sending out an email or an envelope for somebody to put that thing in to send it back that should be on the manufacturer as well to, to collect that, or they should be paying a fee for what they manufacture. Yeah, so so essentially the manufacturer controls the product's entire life cycle. And, yeah, in my, in my mind, if you're building something, then in, 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 
it's non-sustainable, then it, if you were responsible for uh, taking those in and back and you were committed to doing that, had to be legally committed to doing that, then you'd think more about these things. Sure. It'd be part of your game plan from the beginning. I think that's the problem. We're just allowed to make things and make things and make things without that plan mm -hmm. from the beginning. What do we do once they're built? I think that's exactly right. That's how we do everything. I mean, especially in in a society where you find that um, single-use electronics and plastics, like the kinds you've already mentioned, uh, you know, the vape pen, for example, um, you know, since those things are ubiquitous and are big money makers. Uh, there, yeah. I mean, that's 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 what we end up with—a bunch of trash. Yeah, they, they last long. There's mm. no way to take the battery out of them, and it's ridiculous. I mean, it's absolutely absurd. We don't even think about how many more batteries in our life because they're so small. That's right. That's right. We don't. We're worried about the EV batteries, which are likely going to be the. You know, people comment on the EV batteries all the time, but those are likely going to be the most recycled batteries, and and they're not. They're not the cheap batteries either. They're the best of the best batteries. So. Uh, mechanical separation of the, of the materials is what has me the, the what I'm I'm the most interested in where they actually grind it out without chemical process. Okay. And so that ends up you end up with a couple of different waste products with that, um, and you can also do things like extract heavy metals from that waste product, right? Yes. Yeah, so if you do most of it uh, mechanical, then you've removed a lot of the chemical agents that are required to recycle the batteries, and right. that's. With redwood materials, uh, that's uh, they're reclaiming about eighty-five percent of the battery, and the rest of it's plastic chaff. Is that a is that a company? Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's the company I'm watching the heaviest because uh, JB Straubel, the guy that designed the Model Three, uh -huh. after he left uh, Tesla, he uh, he uh, in, he's he's doing the he's engineering uh, redwood materials. So, gotcha. I mean. He, he, he knows the battery that he built, and then it's likely going to be the most common batteries from the 2170 cells. So they're already figuring out mechanical and chemical extractions that are that are better for the environment. Well, that's great. Um, you know, we certainly need those kinds of things. The last longer because the best process is none. The longer you, you you can keep that battery around 30 years, where you have to think about recycling. Right. That's the. That's definitely what we want. That's um, computers. The computer technology and the software is, is enabling that. They're, they're getting more and more miles out of batteries, just software. Hmm. And so the stuff that you're innovating right now, you've had, um, you've had a bunch of growth out there at Ohio Valley Creative Energy in Borden, Indiana, haven't you? Yeah, we're, uh, we're, uh, we've, we, we've put the hand out for uh, uh, wood and materials, uh, repurpose. I've, I've uh, scaled up a bunch of trailers and heavy trucks and got a $500 uh, one-ton van uh, basically donated to us. <laughs> it was a $500 van. Nice. So we got enough to pull like uh, heavy, heavy stuff and winches to load heavy uh, materials. And we've been repurposing lumber to fix the facilities out there. And we're doing some pretty good, uh, pretty good remodeling. Oh, it's nice. The, and so are you, are you, are you totally off the grid out there? No, but it is it is the goal. We haven't uh, we we the facilities were pretty poor out there, so we've uh, uh, had a focus on getting the the facilities right, and uh, that's the next push. That with the core modular battery I built, uh, we should be able to uh, come together when we throw the party out there uh, uh, to to raise awareness for the for the organization. Uh, 
each one of the members should come with their own battery to supply the power for you know, 200 people out there for our uh, for our events. Ah, that'll be cool. We don't uh, have to have all the batteries out there to meet our greatest peak need. So, just for people, you know, this 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 show is just is still really new. Um, just for people who aren't familiar with what it is that that your goals are at Ohio Valley Creative Energy, can you can you sort of talk a little bit about the history of the of the organization and then where you're trying to go with it? Uh, for the past fourteen years, it's been a uh, methane project off of the uh, off of the uh, Clark County uh, landfill. It's uh, actually closer to Sellersburg than Borden. Okay, and out the front of our yard. Uh, you can see the dump pile and there's a seven acre farm uh, with a it's a old trailer on it and a, a, a nice sized barn and some and some infrastructure out there and we've been working towards this uh, building it into a sustainable farm with volunteers nice how can people get involved with that uh, just contact me or uh, uh, Benjamin Hunter okay uh, we uh, we recruit from the parties and kind of uh, it's it's a kind of invite by uh, by us and, and we just we we're selectively inviting people we think are good people out to it instead of and we've uh, we've managed to to get people to do HVAC work and uh, give us it's all out of used stuff that would have ended up in the in the garbage so that's true. Yeah, it's not, none of it was any good. We just took more time to pull some more nails, and sure, uh, everything everything's starting to look overbuilt because we're using lumber you would have never spent the money on to <laughs> to, to put things that you know like porches and things with thick rails and sure, and, you know, it's just overdone. Well, you know it's that's the way, that's the way it goes when you're using reused materials. Yeah, it's uh, it's looking good, and hopefully we got some chickens coming uh, and. Uh, Soon, uh, we should have a couple of goats and actually have some animals out there. I've, I've been out there full time now, so it's uh, it's just always been kind of a uh, uh, always kind of empty. And then we volunteered from afar, but now that I'm out there, it's uh, it's starting to grow pretty fast. And then, it's, then people are coming out more with a permanent presence. Sure, sure. And you're doing um, the 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 centerpiece of what you're doing at this point is. Solar energy, off the grid DIY solar energy. Is that? Would you say that's the center of the project? Uh, there really is no center of the project. It's uh, when when we have talent and help, and people stick around, we promote whatever talent that we have. It's a little more loose. Uh, I just happened to had been shopping for solar parts and found some really innovative pieces. Uh, so the solar just kind of happened. But we have art going on out there. Cool. Uh, uh, one of our members is building art installations out of a. So I, I do recycling out there, so I have heavy equipment and materials, and we get recycled metals. And uh, our other member Patrick digs uh, stuff out of the garbage and makes art out of stuff before it goes to the recycle. Excellent. So it's. Every, everything is is uh, making it a more a more fun place. Sure. Well, it sounds like it. Um, in terms of, I, I do want to kind of get you to talk a little bit about your solar stuff, though. I know that um, that that's been uh, you know a, a 
something you've been developing now for quite a while. Um, do you, could you kind of help listeners who haven't heard about it before? Um, could you help introduce them a little bit to what your, what your solar system is and how it's different maybe from uh, what we might find elsewhere? Yes, we've, uh, we've decided to, uh, run a, a, an Electrodocus, which is a, a purpose-built battery management system with a cell phone uh, motherboard computer. And it changes the way the, it, it uh, uses a program to alter the way the battery charges and discharges, which increases the life of the battery. Okay. And it's very inexpensive. So comparatively to industry standard solar parts, this is a, uh, uh, it's a, it's a Kickstarter project. So it's not even industry. It's all open source for the software. And uh, people are actually designing uh, beta apps for it right now that are a little glitchy. But if the open source will iron out the glitches for even the app. So uh, people are doing this. This is no, like how I, how I said, you're stuck with your software on your MacBook or yeah. whatever you're using for your computer. Uh, we're not. Uh, we're encouraging to put hardware sets out there for people to make software through the open source. Okay. And what, so if I get started with your solar system, what do I end up with? Do I end up with like solar panels on my house and an inverter in my attic and some wires and stuff? Well, right now we're kind of in our beta phase. So uh, we're, as as the solar set you have, it's it's more of a uh, a learning tool. Uh, but what I'm hoping to do is actually install a set of uh, modules in a home, so that the batteries can be charged up individually and slide in like cassettes, so that nothing is hard mounted. Because it makes no sense to hard mount batteries if you're not using them at your home. There's no reason you shouldn't be able to take them on vacation with you to go do work out in the field and, and discharge large amounts of energy. Oh, and my wow. main focus is to get rid of AC power and it's entirely to go to a whole DC home. Okay, and a AC power is what we have now in the buildings, right? When we plug into a wall outlet, that's AC. The wall outlet with the cord, and, and I, people aren't seeing it when I say it, but I, I keep telling people the cord is dead and they think it's going to take a lot of time. And I, I encourage people to think back of how little they or how often, I just don't think we realized that uh, after we got a battery-operated vacuum cleaner and that we're plugging our cell phone into an inverter, uh, where we could actually plug our cell phone into a battery the way that we do our car if we had it in our home. So we don't, we're doing that, but we don't need it. We just, we just, uh, the corded devices go away and we, we just take for granted that we have to charge the battery from AC power because that's what we're handed to charge it with. I see. And so, <clears throat> so really you don't like AC power because it's, um, it's stuck uh, to the wall. Infrastructure wise to install. Okay. Uh, AC inverting is a loss. So every time you, uh, you, uh, invert electricity date from DC to AC, you run a loss and we're doing all this converting and converting AC to DC to charge your phone, well, there's a there's a like a five to seven percent loss. Okay. So all of these uh, forms 
of converting this electricity around is all a form of loss that we could take off of our grid in its entirety if we just change the way we charge our batteries and, and use our electricity. Huh. We have a we have a technology that we use to control a relay called diversion, which means that when you have high amounts of electricity coming from your panels, instead of storing it in the battery, it diverts. So I can divert to things like a water heater element or process or just run things directly from the panels themselves. So would everybody be able to do this? I mean, is or is this just something that's super specialized because you're coming up with it? I mean, do you see this uh, as being everybody's I thing? I, I, I didn't really come up with it. It, just, it was just part of the, the uh, when, when you allowed uh, Dokian Todia, which he's an airbag technician, he's an airbag engineer, uh, and he, he lives in a solar shack in Canada, and he designs these battery management systems. And I think when you just allow creativity to take place when somebody that can build that can engineer and design and, and custom build their own electronics that that people just start thinking more than what their boss told them to build so i think these things these i think if you can do it then it's just going to start to become a part of your life here soon i think we're, we're engineered too far into a box to realize we could change huh yeah well i think a lot of people probably feel that way so are you going to, is this going to eventually, I mean, is this same approach going to be for our vehicles as well? Uh, is it just, is it just our homes? I don't see why if you had a solar panel in your vehicle, if you had full sun, it wouldn't be at least diverting part of that energy around the battery instead of storing it. That increases your battery life if you have a panel on a, on a vehicle. Hmm. Why don't we have, solar, why don't we have solar battery. panels on vehicles now? Uh, because of the cost. Uh, the Cybertruck itself will likely be the first cost-effective vehicle with a solar panel on it. It only gets 5% day charge, so throughout the life of the vehicle, it wouldn't be cost-effective for the panel to be on there, if it's, especially if it's not always facing the sunlight, sunlight correctly. Okay. So if a, if a panel costs a dollar and it, and it performed really well versus a panel that cost maybe three or $4,000 like the, the time to recoup the cost of the panel and the amount of power made not facing the sunlight. And also the panels are actually collecting more energy and in indirect light and lower light now. So, we, so you don't, you don't have to try to position them as much as you used to. Well, yeah, it's, it's getting better with time. Okay. So all of those factors factor into, uh, having solar panels on everything and not and and in the inexpensive i mean even if your solar panels uh not in direct light that means it's not going to wear out as fast so sure it, it, as long as it'll create the energy for the device and not take up a lot of land space because i even the, the solar farms i think are kind of silly when we're putting tar shingle roofs on our homes still in 2020 uh -huh. i don't understand why the solar panels aren't on the roofs and we're not even we're not even thinking about the homes we're building today about being south facing, being right. lined up towards the light. These things should be considered in construction now, even if you're not putting solar on. Sure. Oh yeah. Well, and so in the future, you think? Um, do you think people are kind of going to wake up to this, or do you think? Do you think not? Uh, it seems to be a little painful. I mean, our parents' generation are like almost seem to be against it. Like it's going to hurt them or something. That's true. I experienced we, that too. Um, what's that? 
I experienced that too. Um, recycling, growing your own food, worrying about alternative energy, trying to conserve, unless it was for a financial reason. That was all a little weird when I was growing up. Yeah, it's it's all down to financials. It's it's never about capability. Uh, I, I try to explain some of these things to my family, and, and they just they can't see it, no matter how blatantly obvious it is. It's it's, uh, it's, it's generational. Uh, yeah, they, I'm I'm trying to do bigger things, and it's it's really hard to push because people, if you're if you're doing things that are innovative or cutting edge. Uh, it, it doesn't seem to affect it, until the scarcity is there for people. Uh, it doesn't really seem we have too much abundance. Oh yeah. In so we already have systems. Like I already have the guy that takes my garbage. So why should I compost? Right, right. Uh, you know, it's 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 why are the the solar energy the the, inter, the the power comes from the outlet and the power company. I pay my bill. It's not that much. Modern you know, <laughs> list of excuses to not change, and until. Until one automation takes a lot of jobs and we're able to make less money as a whole, which I predict is going to happen, that people are going to make less and less money as the next decade goes on, but need less and less to get by. Hmm. It's already kind of happened. You used to have a video camera recorder and all these devices and things that are now on your phone. It's, you can get you can get a phone for $50 and it, does the, it takes the place of thousands of dollars of equipment you probably once had. Oh sure, definitely, definitely. You can see it happen. You you went to work every day for that. <laughs> yeah, it's happening now. So I think that the problem we're having now is we're we're building giant mansions instead of uh, sustainable homes for that match a younger generation because we're profit bound. Profit so bound. To, what do you mean? Yeah, we have to build what's profitable. So uh, if, uh, building tiny and small homes is not profitable. Uh, and quick, uh, then industry will be slow to adopt. They're going to build for who has the most money. That building homes for poor people isn't really the market that your contractors are wanting to get into. I'm sure that's true. Well, uh, how do the you see incentive isn't there? How do you see that changing? Can you can you give a little bit of insight? Yeah, with your with your approach to technology, how how does an Average families' financials change. It seems to be mostly gig labor is the big talk of the town now. I don't. I don't think a lot of people who aren't doing gig labor. Uh, I think a lot of our financial constraints and our ability to hire people is coming mostly outside from gig labor and people getting their, uh, especially after COVID, when we we're a lot of people were uh, laid off or not able to work. Mm -hmm. uh, they didn't. A lot of them didn't sit still. It's not the. It's not the everybody collected welfare narrative that's being pushed. A lot of people figured out other ways to survive and aren't returning to the workforce, which is a disaster. Right. And and the supply and demand for wages isn't really kicking in because if I go down the road, I you know if McDonald's really needed to sell hamburgers and they wanted people in there and everybody's hiring, they'd be paying thirty dollars an hour by now. So we seem to be kind of locked so I, I, I would imagine we're probably going to see a lot of businesses fail as we go into the winter because most of the time businesses don't fail during the peak seasons sure so when when somebody begins to install this stuff into their home what happens for them in the way that they 
do they do? I mean, in your view, do they immediately take all that money that they're paying for power and they're able to then use that in all these other places? I mean, does this does this maybe reduce the need for higher wages in some way because people have more disposable income from their technologies at home? It sh- it should. I, I mean, I don't I don't know if people are even going to have. I think we're coming into automation so fast, and the people's ability to adapt is becoming so slow that I think we're going to go into a kind of a, a lull area where people just don't have a lot of excess. And I'm kind of starting to see that amongst younger people now, my age and younger. Uh, people are kind of just squeaking by. Yeah. The abundance from 10, 15 years ago seems to be stacked all the way at the top. Yeah, definitely. Is this going to change any of that? Is this approach to technology going to democratize some of this stuff? Well, I think uh, I think people having their basic needs met is going to create a, 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 a without uh, without doing a lot of work or uh, putting a lot of time in. Uh, it's going to change. It should change things. I think people let people start doing a lot of what they want to do as opposed to what they had to do. Hmm. The days of working in down in the mine or being the truck driver or uh, the fighter pilot, even or they're they're numbered. Okay, because it's, all all that stuff's going to be automated. Absolutely, absolutely. Even the and fighter pilot. Absolutely, fighter pilot's done. Oh come I'm on, man! I saw I saw like, Top Gun. You have to have a dude out there. You gotta have a dude, and that's the thing. And that's the thing with that. It's the ego behind it because a lot of those fighter pilots, they they come to they become you know involved in the political establishment. So it's kind of an ego thing, you know. Like it's it's used as a stepping stone as a, a, a for a career advancement, the brave warfighter. And, sure. And it's I think a shift in mentality. We're having a, a a pretty pretty big changing of the guards right now and the type of people that are being powerful they're getting power and being successful or software engineers not not just political figures hmm. Hmm. that's interesting that's interesting uh yeah so we're talking about disruptive technologies we're talking about disrupting social systems uh, my name is Brian Barnes. This is Local Disruption. I'm talking with Aaron Kashinsky of Ohio Valley Creative Energy, and you are listening to this on 106.5 FM WFMP, Louisville, Kentucky. This is Social Justice Radio out of uh, downtown Louisville in the Hayburn Building. Forward Radio is the name of the station. You can check us out at forwardradio.org. And if you love this programming and if you love uh, the kinds of messages that Aaron is laying down, please consider donating to Forward Radio uh, so that more of this programming can happen. Uh, You can go to forwardradio.org and do that. And um, also, maybe some people people would want to... um, you know, contact Ohio Valley Creative Energy and see how they could support that organization as well. Let me go Absolutely. ahead. Yeah, let me we go ahead. On, and we run on a string and thread, so uh, any kind of help or materials, it's it's way more than way more than just cash to Ohio Valley. It's it's more what people create and do. We we park our excess out there. All of our our all of the stuff that's sitting in our basement paint, and 
excess from jobs. I mix paint together and make one color out of it and paint a room. Sure. Yeah. Sure. And so um, if people want to get a hold of Aaron to talk about how they may, they might participate um, in Ohio Valley Creative Energies projects, um, then let me just go ahead and, and lay this out here. It's uh, it's Aaron Kaczynski. That's A-A-R-O-N-K-O-S-H-I-N-S-K-I at gmail.com. And he yeah. would love to talk with you. Absolutely. Yeah. What, what, what kinds of things do you need right away at Ohio Valley Creative Energy? I mean, if you were going to have a wish list of the kinds of folks who would show up and, and participate, what kind of participation are you looking for? Builders and doers and DIY types, people that are self-employed, have their own business, and work with their hands. Yeah. Creative people, artists, uh, musicians. Why do you want, who, why do you want uh, artists who, out there? Give it forward. So say... You're, you're not an engineer, yeah. and you're a musician, but you yeah. like having things engineered for you. I do that, create parts lists. So when people come and sing and, and, and make music off of our solar pack, uh, that creates awareness to help develop technology, and I, I remove the costs in it, so eventually the musicians want to build their own pack. Pretty cool. And by the way, if people want to um, see some of this in action... I know we have one event coming up at the University of Louisville, October 28th, um, October 28th from 3.30 to 5.30 at the Red Barn um, outside on the lawn. We're going to have Ohio Valley Creative Energy and a host of musicians playing uh, their music amplified off of these solar packs, and uh, Aaron will be there to discuss the technology and help people get involved do you want to talk about that event at all and maybe some of the people you're expecting to have show up uh we haven't really we're we got a couple of musicians that i've uh, got partial commitments to we might have uh we might have uh a, a couple of bluegrass musicians uh, i don't want to name any names yet because i don't want to commit to anybody yet that's okay i think We've got a few pretty good local musicians that have already played off the pack out of Ohio Valley that are interested in showing up. Cool, so. cool. Well, we'll look for Anybody can show up to that. There's no admission fee. Um, all of the events at UofL Sustainability uh, are open to the public and uh, are no cost. Uh, so, And that also, incidentally, that October 28th, that is the end of Sustainability Week at the University of Louisville. And so all that week... Um, there will be events uh, that people can participate in. If anybody wants to check that out, they can go to uh, louisville.edu slash sustainability to get that information. Yeah, it'd be wonderful. We, we, uh, we love the sport. And, uh, just you being around and, and being on this radio show and, and uh, uh, being on this radio show and being able to discuss it's helped out so much. We've, got, we've gotten lots of interest. Oh, that's cool. Well, this is going to go on. Uh, we're going to put this on the... Um, the access hour this week, and uh, folks should look to, we've gotten approved to put the show out there on a regular slot, so folks Great. should start looking at uh, forwardradio.org to look for when local disruption will show up in the weekly schedule. It ought to be in there two or three times every week, and uh, once we get that slot nailed down, we will absolutely promote it here on the show so everybody can know when to tune in. Wonderful. Yeah, that'll be good. Um we do have a few more minutes left. Uh, I would I would love to hear you talk a little bit about 
your own history as uh, an innovator, an entrepreneur, uh, a person who is, you know, what's what's a little bit about your journey that you think maybe other people might find interesting or inspiring if they're trying to get outside the box? Well, um, my history, I started out at, at 19, I was in the Air Force, and I was a fighter aircraft technician on the F-15 Eagle, hmm. and I was in uh, combat for two years, and then I spent eight years in test and evaluation of systems on the F-15 Eagle and uh, A-10 Warthog. Okay. Uh, we developed uh, systems on that aircraft for the F-22 Raptor and the Joint Strike Fighter, hmm. where I got exposure to... Uh, uh, aerospace and uh, space technology. I worked at the NASA Armstrong Flight Research Facility, mm-hmm. and I worked for Boeing. And then I took a complete turn and dropped out of government and uh, and the military-industrial complex to freelance engineer and, and be on my own. And so, if somebody else wanted to get started chasing their dream, you have any advice? Uh, my advice is is that if uh, if you can uh, if you can three D print electronics, you're now an electronics engineer, whether you trained in it or not. Okay. So I recommend people just start playing, uh, and and if they can afford the machines, because the machine cost to do some of these things is all falling, like three D printing, is uh, go ahead and put their hands on. And uh, another thing, like we were talking about AI earlier. Uh, I think we need to start monitoring AI for bias and, and start understanding what AI is, or it's just going to be the underlayment of a program that's used to manipulate our decisions hmm. for us. Yeah, Skynet. So, yeah, yeah, we need to we need to be uh, kind of taking a hands-on approach with things like artificial intelligence and this technology instead of just taking what the industry creates for us because a lot of the things that like Facebook has done, you know, even though there's positive aspects of say Facebook. They were, they were used for an advertising model to get us to buy more things, which I think was the opposite of where we needed to go. Hmm. So I, I think when, when things are allowed to follow the money, they'll, they'll follow the money and the algorithm will do it well. Yeah, that's probably we true. Need, we need to take a, a good hands-on approach with understanding what the underlayment of these algorithms do. And so uh, is there any, I mean, do you have any insight into how to, how to help people start thinking about that. I mean, how do I look behind software and hardware and all of this advanced thinking and production and technology? How do I look back there and find and find what the algorithm is doing? I mean, is there any way to get a handle on that? Uh, well, if you were, if you were uh, not caught up in all the hype of, of the, of these things than uh, looking at them as a whole and and reading about how they work as opposed to just becoming a user. Okay. I, I recommend researching a lot of these things before a lot of these programs before uh, before we start using them and understand exactly what the outcome uh, undesired and desired is like addictive behavior to the phone is a big one and getting our attention span in 10 seconds down to uh, smaller increments and getting dopamine through scrolling as opposed to actual reward for doing a long-term task. Oh, yeah. These things, 
these things are pretty dangerous. And if we don't understand psychologically what what interfacing with the device is doing to us, then it can, it can hurt us. So, in your view, I guess I guess that that harm is already happening. Is that fair? Uh, yeah. I mean, in 2015, the the Go game, uh, Alpha Go, when monitored by humans, it uh, it the the algorithm made very illogical moves quickly and beat the top players in an unreasonably low number of moves. And that's the most complex, one of the most complex games in the world with the crazy number of, of moves. Yeah. And then in 2018, we had the open AI, the fake news generator wrote a story about unicorns being discovered in South America, at like the fifth grade level <laughs> fifth or sixth grade level. So that was 2019. So now we're not really discussing the advancements, and it seems like the largest advancements are coming in 2021, 2022. So, yeah, we should be very, very aware of what AI is doing and how it's, how it's being used. Well, it It'll seems design like... structures, it's going to design electronics, phones. Well, it seems, like, it seems like it also creates content, just like you're suggesting, that maybe is very difficult for human beings to tell from... Um, you know, to to distinguish from maybe non AI created content. In some cases, that's that's a problem. Yes, it, it'll uh, it, it it'll be hard to distinguish a YouTube creator from a real person, and this has already happened. With uh, uh, it, it it's already happened. So they they've had a, a YouTube creator that was talking about issues that face young women, and it was not even a real person, and it had millions of uh, followers. Huh. Well, those are the kinds of things to look out for, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. You know, is your is your con is your content creator talking to your children real? They're already <laughs> kind of uh, they're already kind of used to cartoons, so even unnatural uh, movements and things in the infancy would slide past children before an adult, and now you're not going to be able to distinguish between that and a human at all. So you know, we'll start low bandwidth stuff like uh, like audio, like phone calls or things like that. You wouldn't be able to distinguish. You're not getting a phone call from, say, your mother or something, all the way down to like the super high processing power and high bandwidth activities of videos, uh, relaying the data to be intuitive and, and interact with a human being hmm. is on the horizon now with the connectivity and the high powered processors that are coming out. So, well, this is this is interesting. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, I mean we should be giving these things a lot of thought and understand. I don't think I don't think many people are ready for it. I, in the way that we weren't ready for, say, social media and and the fallout from it, or uh, so, like even the infant in the infancy of getting email, uh, people were getting ripped off by the the Nigerian prince or whatever it was. <laughs> like people were getting ripped off in email scans almost immediately. And as yeah. time goes by, we get less gullible to that. But then the new thing kicks in. I think the new, the new issue of, of that will end up being AI-driven algorithms. Mm. Watching. And so you don't. I mean, I guess I guess we started the conversation, and, and it seemed like you were just one hundred percent bullish on technology. But but it, it does seem like you're you're pointing out some of the problems as we get forward into this stuff. I like to be positive, but I'm also a, a pretty heavy rationalist. I, I listen. I, I a lot of my role models are Elon Musk and uh, Isaac Asimov, mm. uh, 
Carl Sagan, a lot of these people were very strong rationalists and they looked at everything from a double-edged point of view. So, I mean, you, you have to look at what the, if something positive is going to affect society, you have to look at how the, how the fraud is going to occur. If, if, it, if it will empower people to do something positive, it can also empower a crook, which is, have existed for a long time. Hmm. They seem to be the most creative because nobody's telling them no. They do it anyway. That's true. <laughs> that <laughs> yeah. is the nature of that, isn't it? Yeah. So we just we just need to understand that these things are happening, and I just don't I don't see our society. Uh, we went from a a political establishment that was trying to tell us that EVs uh, weren't the future and that clean coal, and then we went to a, a, a political establishment that seems to tell us that the people that brought us gasoline vehicles for all these years and stunted EV technology are going to be the companies that bring us. And it's, it's all outsiders now. You're seeing car companies and, and companies that and it has to do with the scale, the amount of app you have to build of something. So pretty soon you're going to have companies that build two, three hundred of something a year. And, and there is going to be no major industry standard. So just creativity is, is unlimited with the ability when you can remove a lot of the process behind uh, what it takes to build your machines even. It's interesting. It sounds like a real revolution in uh, in process and in culture when you say it. We just need to be involved. That's that's. I didn't feel any need to scale a solar company. I get asked all the time, like, why isn't your solar company successful? I'm like, well, because it's not a company. It was based around education. Because if I can't hire a solar technician, uh, because people aren't learning it and they're not doing it themselves, and they're only thinking about uh, big parts installation is the way solar installers are. They're right. just finding a supplier and installing something. They're not innovating on it. They're not learning it right. in the way the hot rodders used to. Like I, have a, I have an old 65 Ford pickup I've been working on since I was 15. It's the opposite of what a green guy would uh, normally have. And I, and I do that to keep my hands on with mechanical. I keep the old gas burner around to keep myself mechanical. Okay. In that mindset and thinking, you know, otherwise it all become integrated in the cell phone and automated or uh, electric. And if you don't have that old mechanical lug laying around, people don't think of the things they can integrate a computer in to, to do electromechanical devices. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It needs to be around to inspire. Okay. Well, I'm glad you. Us. I'm glad. I'm glad you're doing that work, uh, both to inspire yourself and to inspire others. Thanks for. Thanks for continuing to carry the torch. Thank you for uh, noticing. <laughs> Absolutely. Friends, we have been talking with Aaron Kaczynski of Ohio Valley Creative Energy. Aaron is um, located in southern Indiana, uh, also operates in Louisville, Kentucky, and um, he is available uh, for anybody to learn about his systems or to get involved with the stuff. Once again... Aaron Kaczynski, A-A-R-O-N-K-O-S-H-I-N-S-K-I at gmail.com. And uh, you can hear us on Forward Radio, and we hope that you've enjoyed the show. Aaron, thanks for making the time today. Thank you for the time, Ron. Appreciate you. Absolutely. Appreciate you. All right, we'll be back next week with more disruptive stuff from Local Disruption. This show, Local Disruption, will be archived on SoundCloud. Um, 
just like every other show on Forward Radio. So please use this as an opportunity to see what's possible. And let me make one more plug just generally for sustainability. When we talk about sustainability, we often talk about it in three areas. That are Those areas are always engaging with one another. There's the social arena, there's the economic arena, and there's the environmental area. And so all three of these, we often say people, planet, profit, they have some kind of a relationship. And they are, to one degree or another, resilient, which is to say they are capable of withstanding shocks to their systems without losing their functioning. All kinds of systems in our lives are things that we can discuss in these areas. Aaron's technology can be discussed in terms of sustainability. What does it mean for society to be able to have individuals build very affordably their own mobile power sources? What does it mean for society that maybe electric cars, self-driving cars are on the way right here on the horizon? What does it mean for the economy if we have uh, new technologies on the horizon that are going to disrupt the economic positions that we already have deeply entrenched in our culture. Thanks for listening to Local Disruption. And for this fine music, we are deeply grateful to Tristan Brooke Hawk.